Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. How are you all today? Everybody doing okay? So, how is everyone coping with the circuit breaker? Emil Kwai Kwai. So uh, today is a bit special. Um, today I've uh, I uh, I had in mind to share some share this sutta about this conversation between the Buddha and a prince. Uh, I also got a series of. Uh, questions or topics <coughs> that was offered to me uh, quite a lot yeah so the topics include how to structure practice during this COVID circuit breaker period the various stages of reflection for meditation how to manage tension at home with estranged or unreasonable family members during circuit breaker how to best accrue merits for a good rebirth or pr good present life uh, how to prepare ourselves for death you know, very heavy topic uh, how to cultivate and uh, engage in compassion with wisdom how to differentiate between compassion with and without wisdom uh, some of these are relevant to some of the ongoings in recent days. Uh. How to relate to uncooperative members who are not adhering to guidelines compassionately. How to cultivate love for someone who have done us wrong or indifferent to or whom we just find so lovable. Mm. Well, that's quite a lot. A lot of how how to do this, how to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, how to deal with jealousy or competitiveness towards others in areas we prize in. How to incorporate mindfulness when it's unconducive at, to practice at home. Hmm. Are you all practicing at home? Maybe you all can leave a com leave comments in the in the chat. And then you can let me know. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, all these are very, very um, good questions and topics. Uh. So I'm a bit split into <laughs> and as to which one to cover. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you all think? Do you have any preference? Some of you wrote yes, 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 or oh, to the question whether you are cultivating. That's good. Uh. Mm. So, uh, yeah, there are a number of students who have, who have uh, asked before as well um, how to um, 
how to maintain peace and harmony in the family uh, during this period. Yeah. Uh, Louis O says, cover all. <laughs> cover all, then we'll be here for the whole day. Michael seems asked to cover more on the meditation topics. <coughs> mm. uh, Phyllis says, trying to cultivate at home, but nothing beats attending sessions at temple or BL as it's distract, rather distracting at home. Mm. How many of you find it distracting at home? Uh, you can uh, perhaps uh, is it distracting at home? Of course, you will find it distracting at home. Uh. Yeah. The my teacher once uh, shared. You know, when we say, 出家出家出家是烦恼聚集之地 uh, <laughs> Yeah, something like that. That when we say home, right? Yeah, it is seen as the aggregation of defilements. Mm. So, uh, not so easy to practice at home in a way. But in a way, um, home is also where we need to be doing our practices. Yeah, uh, whether it is the COVID-19 period or not. Yeah. Uh, when we go to the temple to practice, uh, that is like a like a swimming pool. Mm. So imagine if we are if our cultivation is like uh, learning to swim. Okay. So ultimately, when we know how to swim, then we can swim anywhere. Yeah, but initially, when we uh, are trying to learn how to swim, we don't go to the river. Okay. Sometimes <laughs> I could be wrong. Uh, I think the old, older generations learn swimming in the in the Longkang River. <laughs> uh, but today, most people would learn swimming in the swimming pool. Yeah. Uh, and after you learn how to swim in a swimming pool, you start off in the middle pool and then in the deep pool. And if you are younger, you may start off in the baby pool, then middle pool and at some point to the um, deep pool. Mm. So, uh, the, the monastery, the temples, uh, Buddhist centers, is, it serves as a swimming pool, yeah, as a training ground for us to have a safe, quiet place yeah, to practice, to build up our, our practices first. Yeah. And then when you are out of the monastery, yeah, when you're out of the temple, uh, to be able to continue that practice. Mm. So some of you have replied. Uh, some of you find that there's no difference. Uh, yes, doing other things can be part of cultivation. Yeah. Sometimes it's distracting, sometimes not distracting. Mm. There's a tendency to do other things. Uh, Gek Seng says that his father is very noisy, so he meditates at night. 
so finding the right timing can be a solution. So some of you find that it's peaceful and quiet at home. That's wonderful. Mm. I'll do my chanting first thing in the morning. Yeah. So you can share some tips. Uh, yeah, how you can actually find uh, your little space. Wu mm. Xiu says practice can be done everywhere. Yeah, very good. So uh, there are, we can say that there are two kinds of practice. The formal kind of practice. So we do our chanting, do our meditation, we do our reflection. Yeah. Uh, so we can say that that is a formal kind of practice. And then there's the the other kind of practice. Doesn't mean the other kind is informal, but it's the the other form of the other aspects of practice, which is um, uh, to develop that awareness. Yeah, like for example, uh, in the noble eightfold path under right effort. Uh, right effort is actually not just when we are doing chanting or sitting. Then it's right effort. Right effort is when uh, to be aware of our our mental state. Yeah. Uh, whether we are sitting, whether we are chanting, whether we are cooking, whether we are sweeping the floor, whether we are bathing, we are eating, in whatever we are doing, yeah, to check uh, is the state of my mind coupled with purity or impurity. Is it wholesome or is it unwholesome? Yeah. So this form of practice is. Um, a bit different from the formal practice, yeah, a bit different from the formal practice. Mm. Different in what sense? Different in the sense that uh, maybe we are not so used to it. We are used to the idea of uh, practice or cultivation in the formal sense. We go to the temple, we join the fahui, we chant. Uh, we chant the sutra, we chant Xiangzan, we, ch we chant uh, Buddha's name, the mantra, and so on. And we do meditation, yeah, that is practice. Uh, but when we... Um, what, what about outside of this form of practice? Uh, by right, actually we should also continue the practice, yeah, which is uh, to be aware of our body, speech, and mind, starting with our mind. Yeah, to check is our our mental state yeah, is it wholesome or unwholesome mm. uh, in a way not very difficult but in some ways very difficult mm. so Rusu <laughs> says noise is good for practicing yes uh, noise is good for us to practice certain aspect yeah uh, uh, but on the other hand, when you are doing certain practices, it is uh, not so conducive. Why do I say that? So, um, you can use noise to practice in terms of your uh, awareness. You can use it to practice your patience. Yeah. You can also learn to um, uh, catch your discriminating mind. Yeah, using the noise or the sound. The fact that if we call it noise, yeah, we are discriminating. It's just sound. But at the same time, uh, the Buddha's instructions to the monks 
was to practice in Jijing Chu. Yeah, to practice in quiet places. Mm. So this is very interesting. Uh, in the Vinaya, in the teachings to the monks and nuns, the Buddha don't advise the monks and nuns to go to noisy places to practice. Okay, so seems to be a conflict. Uh. Uh, because we have heard before masters, teachers who say that, oh, you know, places that is uh, very uh, chaotic is good for your practice. Uh, then, but on the other hand, the Buddha advised the monks and nuns to find quiet places. Uh, so what is the what is going on here? Uh, so when we um, when we consider the the Buddha, uh, we can say I think the Buddha understands the need for most people yeah, in the initial stages to have quiet places to practice. Mm. So when the Zen masters say that, uh, or some of the teachers say that, oh. You know, those places that is uh, noisy is good for practice. Uh, it is with regards to um, using what we call ni真上缘, that means opposing conditions, to use it, transform that opposing conditions to become a cultivation factor. Yeah. So if you can do that, then you can practice in many places. But for most people at the start, it's a bit difficult. Mm, a bit difficult. So, uh, Esther C said, Zaying is a Long time ago, some, some, years, uh, some years back, back in 2007, when I went to Myanmar for a three months range retreat, uh, I was expecting that it would be like, you know, retreat center, quiet and serene. Oh, but it was almost amazing. Uh, there were a lot of sound, uh, all kinds of insect sounds. The even the lizard sound was, or like really strong. And there were birds and so on. But they were still okay, you know, nature and so on. And then at uh, late at night, nine plus ten, somehow there were some some small houses or something just outside of the retreat center and they were playing very loud like disco tech kind of music now yeah, I was more surprised um, so I reported this to the Sayadaw and then Sayadaw asked me are you disturbed by it? <laughs> then I was a bit like ah so uh, clearly I was disturbed by it you know and then, so he told me, he said, um, well, you should, um, did you, he, he asked me whether I noted it. So in the Mahasi tradition, there's this practice of noting whatever processes happen. So when you hear sound, to note hearing, hearing, hearing. And, and in this way, when you do that, if you do it uh, diligently, then uh, in a way, you catch or you interrupt the discriminating process because it's very fast the moment you hear our minds start to discriminate like or dislike if you like then it's music if you don't like it's, it's noise yeah so by 
by putting in this practice to label it, to note it. Yeah, when you hear something, you just hear, hearing, hearing, hearing. Yeah. Uh, it it changes that response. Mm, changes that response. Yeah, so uh, so when he asked me, did you note it? I'm like, uh, <laughs> well, apparently I wasn't quite noting it initially. So after that, he. Uh, uh, oh, so after that, I I tried to do it, whether it's birds la, the insects, all kinds of insect sounds. No, uh, no, 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 no. Uh, I think he went to tell them to not play loud music. I don't know whether that was part of part of a test or something. I don't think so. Uh, but uh, after a few days, they stopped playing. Then the, the neighboring monks in the other kuti uh, they started doing chanting late at night again 9 plus 10 yeah and it was for, for a long duration so because during the retreat you know, we wake up early in the morning and we sleep early so at 9 plus 10 we are starting to retire and then started chanting uh, so initially you know, fun now. I start to like, oh, I have all kinds of thoughts. How come this place is so noisy? Yeah, got so many sounds. How come there's, there's even uh, music playing somewhere nearby? I thought everybody here should be meditating. How come this, then when there's no more music, how come this, these monks are not sleeping at night? Why are they chanting? <laughs> you know? So our discrimination is very interesting. Uh, so after that, I reported again, and uh, again the Sadal said, asked me, do you note it? <laughs> oh, oh gosh, it's a one, one, one stop, you know, fix all kind of solution. Uh, but it, it is interesting, uh, whether it's using this noting method, yeah, or in the Pure Land tradition, they, whatever happens, you, they, they just bring Amitofo back to mind, or bring the mind back to Amitofo. Yeah. Or in some traditions, when they are practicing mindfulness of the breath, no matter what happens, they just pay attention to the breath. Yeah. Uh, or, it, or another practice is, uh, long time ago, this venerable teacher us. So, yen kwan pi, pi kwan sing. <laughs> yeah, so basically, still observing the breath, observing the mind. Mm. Uh, all these practices actually can help us. The trouble is uh, whether we are able to do it consistently. Yeah, whether we can do it consistently. Uh, if you can do it, then uh, noise is not no noise. Yeah. Um, another method, another practice that I shared in some other classes is, uh, especially if you are, I mean, during this period, we are all. Uh, you know, spending a lot of time at home. So, uh, when we hear some sound, uh, hear with compassion. Mm. This is not a theory. Uh, this is really a practice that you can do. So, it means when you hear whatever sound you hear, uh, you... You don't you don't start discriminating and thinking uh, this sound is irritating and so on and so forth, but you go and consider whether there's suffering behind it, uh, whether there's suffering behind it. 
Uh, when we do this frequently enough, it becomes a, a natural response and um, compassion arises. When compassion arises, no time to worry or consider, uh, or oh, am I disturbed? Do I like it or not? Yeah, no time for that. Mm. So whether what you see, what you hear, if you can do that. Yeah, but not so easy, you can try. Mm. So what about the, the, the topic that I wanted to share, I mentioned earlier. Let me load up the web page. So this sutta is from the Majjhima Nikaya 58. Uh, I shared this the other day. Uh, it's titled Abhaya Sutta to Prince Abhaya. Mm. So uh, a few days back, uh, and, and I think it's not just one incident, uh, but a couple of different incidences of uh, different individuals who who uh, flout the circuit breaker uh, measures, uh, going out without the mask, and uh, and so on and so forth. And then I think recently there are even cases of uh, the those what do you call them? There are even cases of the uh, ambassadors being uh, being. Like slapped or uh, being attacked by the public. Mm. Uh, but before I continue, <laughs> I uh, want to clarify. Uh, I, I'm not a mouthpiece for the government or anything. Yeah. Uh, I just thought this is something to to reflect on. Yeah. Um, some, uh, I think, just before the circuit breaker, uh, there were long queues in different places. I think there was some news about IKEA, people queuing up at IKEA, people going to night spots and so on and so forth before they have the uh, shutdown of all the non-essential uh, places like entertainment and so on and so forth. Yeah, and um, it's got to do with how we look at the situation. And so we, it, it seems as though when we look at the behavior, um, people are equating the the ruling to be the cause, and then the result is we cannot go out. Um, but the the reverse is true. It is more that it is unsafe to go out. That's why the rule was put in place. So, <laughs> some some may be wondering like, okay, but what has that got to do with Buddhism, right? Actually, um, if you think about it, sometimes we observe the precepts in the same way. We look at the precepts as though, oh, because the Buddha say we cannot do it, so we don't do it. But rather, it's the other way around. It's because the Buddha saw that doing certain actions is harmful to us, harmful to others. That's why he um, gave the teachings, highlighting how these actions are harmful. Um, and that's why in Buddhism, the precepts are, are 
you know the word sila actually don't mean precepts the word sila is more like well almost always translated as precepts you know jie. but one of the meaning of of sila is uh, behavior yeah, so the behavior meaning our body and speech what kind of behavior is conducive for happiness what is not conducive for happiness and then there's also the sikha you know something something sikha padam samadhi yami yeah so the word sikha is uh, training so the the words that we use are oftentimes uh, translated as precepts but also as training rules yeah to help us train to train us to train us to be to move towards uh, purity yeah so it is not that the because the Buddha set the rules so we cannot do it but rather because the Buddha saw that doing certain things leads to harm leads to suffering and so he advised those he advised that if you do not want suffering then you may want to you know you probably don't want to do this so it is the same as the yes this this, uh, this thing about uh, car seat belt <laughs> I'm a person who 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 is perfectly at ease with wearing seatbelt so whenever I, I, I go into a vehicle I will put on seatbelt whether I'm sitting in front or behind and I think even last time before there was some I think in the past it was required that of course the driver must wear seatbelt and then the passenger on in front must wear seatbelt and I think for a while the the rule for sitting wearing seatbelt behind is uh, is uh, it's a bit grey I think yeah but then ultimately it became like the norm that everybody must wear seatbelt as long as they are in the car and I, I've always like you know <laughs> quite happy to just put on seatbelt too uh, and, and some students yeah they're quite funny they share with me that oh they only put on seatbelt when they are in Singapore overseas they don't put on seatbelt I'm like what? Like, oh, because overseas you don't need to wear. But that's that's besides the point, you know. So it's the same thing, right? Um, it is not because of some rule that's why we need to put on seatbelt. At the first place, cars, long time ago, you know, in the early days, cars didn't have seatbelt. Um, seat belts were designed. The three-point seatbelt, you know, our seatbelt is I think called the three-point seatbelt. So there's three anchor points, you know, one on across one shoulder, the, the other two near our waist. Um, there were different types of seat belts, and seat belts were designed, were put in place because of the the development of car vehicles. That over time, the performance of cars start to become better and better, but the safety didn't catch up. So deaths due to motor car be, uh, accidents increase. So then, um, the industry came together, and I think was it Volvo? I think some guy from Volvo came out with the three-point car seatbelt, and then it became a standard. Um, so, so the fact that seatbelts uh, came about and became a standard is not simply because of some ruling, some government ruling, 
but rather it's because it improves safety. Yeah, it doesn't uh, guarantee that you will not die, but it increases the chance of you not dying. Yeah, so um, so that's the cars, the precepts, um, and in this case, the same thing goes for going out or not going out, wearing a mask when you go out or not. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm not an expert in virology. I'm I'm not medically trained. But if you look at all the different um, uh, doctors and medical professionals' advice is, you know, that having the mask can help. Yeah, uh, it doesn't guarantee that you will have zero infection, but you will drastically reduce that. I'm not going to go into all the the details, and you know, you can see a lot of um, uh, analysis online. Yeah, the point is, so what happens if th there are those who don't follow the rule? You know, uh, there are those who look at it and, and look at it as a, a crime. Well, once it's, once there's a bill, you know, and you flout it, there are penalties. So in a way, it's a crime. It's not a criminal criminal thing, but it's it's still against some rule, right? So that's one way to look at it. Um, Another way to look at it is whether that's the rule or not. If someone were to go out without the mask, that person risks infection, regardless of the intent. Uh, and that's very crucial. We'll come back to this. Okay, so regardless of the intent, the person is exposed himself to infection and then becomes a potential carrier to, to spread. So becomes a cluster center. Yeah, so harming themselves potentially, yeah, it's, it's not a must, uh, it's not a guarantee again. Yeah, it's not like you don't wear a seatbelt, you immediately die. But you are increasing the chance, the, the more rides you take without a seatbelt, the higher the, the chance that you will meet with, uh, that you will get injured due to an accident. So it's sang de san duo zhong yi hu, right? So, um, so whether there's a rule or not, this is still true. So that's another angle to look at it. That um, we should be concerned for uh, for people who don't wear the mask, not simply because they are breaking the rule, but because for out of compassion for their well-being, because they'll get infected, and also for others' well-being, because there are some people who say that you know, uh, it's okay lah. You know, if I get infected, that's my problem. No, it's not just your problem anymore. <laughs> because there are limited resources to deal with uh, this medical pandemic. You know, this, this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we have only limited resources for uh, treating uh, patients who, who have complications. Uh, current current stats seem to be that 80% will just get a mild symptom, get mild symptoms because of the infection. Uh, there are some percentage that will be quite serious. Um, and of course, there are people who will come in and say, "Oh, then uh, the solution should be to build tons of uh, ICU units, you know, ICU and have a lot of ventilators and a lot of all those things." 
well this is another thing altogether this is called a toilet problem yeah, or, or the lift problem or the road problem uh, all these are the same problem expressed in different scenarios uh, in a nutshell is if you have one person staying in a house you only need one toilet to ensure 100% um, uh, access to the toilet but if you have two person then you have you, you don't have 100% but because you don't need to use the toilet all the time so for two persons staying in a house to have one toilet that's still doable but once you increase the number of people staying in a place to crossing some threshold then you need to increase the number of toilets uh, to ensure that <clears throat> the wait time is kept to a minimum yeah, so this is a whole science altogether uh, this, this whole uh, statistical analysis is done in many different industries in uh, in computing industry uh, it's used to analyze networks yeah, because our traffic like now you're watching this live uh, you don't have a dedicated connection to my computer yeah, because today, um, well not today uh, HTTP internet is connection, you know, is disconnected network so you don't have one solid line connecting everybody but the data are sent in packets and to optimize that you, you, you build just enough yeah, to cater for the traffic such that everybody uh, even at peak load just wait a bit uh, so that's the most efficient why because otherwise you are overbuilding and for the most part the the, the infrastructure is not used so it's like our roads right <coughs> um, if you have only one person in the whole of Singapore then you don't need to build roads if you have two person you need to build one road for them to go to each other yeah but if you want to allow um, each person to go to each other's house uh, freely without obstruction then you need to build two routes even though there are only two person now why would anybody visit the other person if the other person is also visiting you escapes me okay but the theoretical analysis is like that and if you increase the number of people and you still want to have one-to-one -one, the, the, the numbers just increase tremendously yeah, and at the same time we are not all using the roads so most of the time the roads will be vacant and you'll be wasting resources now, this same principle applied to ICU applied to hospitals is also why there's almost always wait time at hospitals because you, you like um, countries don't just have limited unlim don't, don't, we don't just have unlimited resources to put everything into building lots of hospitals like after this, there may be people who think, oh, we should build like tons of hospitals, but then those resources will have to come from somewhere. Yeah, the cost would just go up. You know, so optimization is always an issue. So in this case, um, we should plan for pandemic, for a pandemic, but nobody wants the pandemic to happen. But now that it's here. Uh, you cannot simply just say okay so let's just build as much as we can and then so we can allow people to get sick because you can build buildings but it takes time to train nurses doctors you know 
because it's not just ventilators you need people to mend the ventilators yeah and last I checked we don't have robots as nurses and doctors these are human beings yeah so you cannot you can order new machines you can build new infrastructure like China just built new like huge hospital uh, within a few days and you can do that but they had to um, get volunteer medical professionals from all over China to swarm over to Wuhan to, to cater to whatever was happening there yeah, so similarly in Singapore if, if people just think well if I fall sick that's my, my problem it's no longer just it's, it's not just our problem yeah because as much as individuals may think I don't mind falling sick but um, the country cannot simply just say oh he said that he don't mind falling sick so when he falls sick we, we don't treat him cannot what right I mean <laughs> whoever even think of that right so we still have to take care of them and we want to take care of them we want to take care of everybody who falls sick but it also means that you can't have people just putting themselves at risk yeah so then how mm. so how yeah so in the in the in the process um, I'm sharing all this with you uh, with you all because sometimes when when people see posts right um, you just read what is written yeah and in this case um, I, I've given some thought to this this matters um, I don't think it's exhaustive or comprehensive yeah but it's 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 not like we just look at something and we just you know blabble yeah there are, there are a lot of angles to look at and of course we should be kind and compassionate yeah but I also wrote about how kindness and compassion unfortunately doesn't prevent the person from getting infected yeah unfortunately I wish just being kind to them and being patient with them will get them like give them a bubble of protection it doesn't work that way yeah unfortunately so we come to this sutta because this sutta is very interesting um, so it's this dialogue between this, this prince and the Buddha uh, so it, it goes that um, the, the prince the prince was uh, sort of like uh, being goaded to uh, to go and challenge the Buddha ask Buddha some difficult questions yeah, and see how the Buddha can respond so you see in bracket on right speech so this is <coughs> this is a a note by the translator Venerable Tanisaro Bhikkhu yeah. so let's take a look um, I'm going to just skip over the translation notes I will post the link later and then you all can take a look yeah. mm. so uh, this the background for this sutta is uh, in bamboo grove yeah. uh, near Rajagaha the squirrel sanctuary yeah, so I have heard that on one location the blessed one was staying near Rajagaha in the bamboo grove the squirrel sanctuary so this is a, a, quite a standard opening uh, detailing like where the Buddha was and uh, the place and sometimes also highlight who which other disciple is there uh, the eye here 
would refer to Venerable Ananda yeah, according to the Buddhist tradition. Uh, in the first council, Venerable Mahakashapa uh, convened the first council uh, with 500 arahants. And Venerable Ananda was uh, tasked to recite uh, whatever he has heard of the teachings given by the Buddha. So, um, <clears throat> at that point, then this Prince Abhaya. So Prince Abhaya went to uh, one of the ascetics, yeah, Niganta Nataputta. Yeah, and then, uh, on arrival, bowed down to him, sat to one side, and then talked to him. So this Niganta Nataputta told this Prince Abhaya, uh, come now, Prince, refute the words of uh, Gotama, the contemplative, and this admirable report about you will spread afar. The words of Gotama, the contemplative, so mighty, so powerful, were refuted by Prince Abhaya. So this is very interesting because uh, in in quite a few suttas, it talks about how uh, the relation between the Buddha and his uh, counterparts in his peers. So the ascetics or the Brahmins, uh, they, um, number one, uh, the Buddha has by this time built up a certain reputation yeah, that the Buddha's words uh, has weight, yeah, is mighty and powerful. In what sense? Um, there were many people who were sent to challenge the Buddha. There were many people who took it upon themselves to go and challenge the Buddha in his teachings. Um, and many of them walk away becoming convinced that the Buddha is actually saying the truth. Yeah. And as a result, they, they chose to become a disciple of the Buddha. <coughs> yeah. Hence this description that is the words of the Gotama of Gotama, the contemplative, is so mighty and powerful. And so here we see Niganta Nataputta uh, goading the prince to challenge the Buddha so that if he win, um, then the prince would have the reputation of having refuted the Buddha's words. Mm. So then the prince asks, but how venerable sir will I refute the words of Gotama, the contemplative, so mighty, so powerful? Yeah, so you ask me to go and challenge the Buddha. So how? <laughs> yeah, in Singlish we like, so how? <laughs> how to do it? Mm. So, uh, so this Niganta uh, Nataputta uh, basically come out with this uh, this this ploy, you know. So told him to ask the Buddha, yeah, uh, whether the Buddha would say words that are unendearing. And disagreeable to others, yeah. So this is the opening uh, that the that this ascetic asked this uh, prince Abhaya, basically to go and challenge the Buddha and ask the Buddha uh, whether would you say something unendearing and disagreeable. <coughs> yeah, think about it now. In today's context. Uh, if you hear someone saying something unendearing, that means not so pleasant, yeah, and disagreeable. So say things that, you know, in a way antagonistic, uh, or, or basically opposing to others. So, this is the opening, 
then he go through the different scenario. So if Gotama the contemplative, so Gotama is the family name and he is the contemplative. So in some translations they use the word ascetic Gotama. <coughs> so you note that over here, um, like today when we look at the Buddha, we say Lord Buddha, the Buddha Sakyamuni Buddha. Yeah, but in the Buddha's time, they don't always refer to the Buddha as Buddha. In fact, a common um, reference is uh, ascetic Gotama, Gotama the contemplative, or if it's the disciple of the Buddha, they will address the Buddha as the Blessed One, yeah, uh, One. So uh, here, first scenario, uh, the Buddha. So he he's conjecturing, saying that the Buddha may uh, would say, you know. Will answer the Tathagata would say words that are unendearing and disagreeable to others. Yeah. So this is the first outcome. Uh, so the, meaning that the Buddha will reply that yes, he would say that. Yeah, the Tathagata referring to the Buddha. And then he so you, you see this whole setup, you know. Yeah. And basically, if the Buddha say that, <coughs> then you should say, then how is there any difference between you? Lot and run of the mill people. In other words, if you also, you as the as the an ascetic, as the Buddha, should say things that is unendearing and disagreeable to others, then what's the difference between you and run of the mill people? That means ordinary people, the common folks. Yeah, because why? For even run of the mill people say words that are unendearing and disagreeable to others. Uh, so this first scenario, okay, yeah. Second scenario, but if Gotama, the contemplative, thus asks answers, the the Tathagata would not say words that are unendearing and disagreeable to others. Then, okay. So second scenario, if the Buddha say no, I will not say that. Uh, then what must you say? Yeah. Then you should say. Then how Lord did you say of Devadatta that? Devadatta is headed for destruction. Devadatta is headed for hell. Devadatta will boil for an eon. Devadatta is incurable. For, yeah. Yeah. So, you see how they are setting the Buddha up for failure. Yeah, if you answer A, you are wrong. If you answer B, you are also wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Uh, so Devadatta is the cousin of the Buddha and also one of the uh, monks uh, in, uh, in those days. And uh, Venerable Devadatta was very interesting as well because he was uh, like hell-bent plotting to take over the Buddha. He wants to become the head of the Sangha. Yeah, so there were some other incidences. I think at this point of time, the fact that the Buddha made this statement, that means Devadatta had already um, made an attempt for the Buddha's life. You know, tried to harm him but failed. <clears throat> but just that, that act, that intent and act itself is enough to cause Devadatta to, to in future life or in the next immediate life to be reborn in the Abhichiha. Yeah, hence this statement. Yeah, so using this statement then, uh, this this uh, uh, Niganta Nataputta is uh, setting up s scenario number two. 
that with this, if the Buddha reply uh, uh, no, then you should counter and ask. In that case, how can? But you did say that, mm. and because of what you said, then what happened? Uh, Devadatta was upset and disgruntled at the at those words of yours. Mm. Uh, you say that you don't say things as unendearing and disregardable, but Devadatta was upset and disgruntled at those words of yours. Uh, then how do you explain? Mm. So, oh, set up everything sweet sweet for the Buddha to fail. So when Gotama, the contemplative, is asked this two-pronged question by you, he won't be able to swallow it down or spit it out. Just as if a two-horned chestnut were stuck in a man's throat. <coughs> I don't know whether you all have seen two-horned chestnuts, but really look like two-horned. And imagine if it's stuck in a throat, that would be quite jialat. <laughs> yeah. So he will not be able to swallow it or down or speed it up. Yeah. In the same way, when Gotama, the contemplative, is asked this two-pronged question by you, he won't be able to swallow it down or speed it up. Yeah. So this is the this a whole uh, setup. Two outcomes. Both uh, they have really uh, designed it to, in a way, entrap the Buddha. No matter how he answer, how see coming up, yeah, well, preparing for a show. Mm. So. The Prince Abhaya, listening to this, okay, agreed to it, and then he went to see the Buddha. Having seen the Buddha, he arrived, he bowed down to the Buddha, and then sat to one side. So it's quite interesting. Um, he circumambulated the ascetic Niganta Nataputta, and then he went to the Buddha to see the Buddha, huh, the Blessed One. So after that, what happened? After that, <coughs> He even bowed down to the Buddha. Yeah, so it, although he's there to challenge the Buddha and sort of entrap the Buddha, he still bowed down and you know, pay respect. And then while he was there, then he asked, then he looked at the sun and thought, today is not the time to refute the, the Blessed One's words. Tomorrow in my home, I will overturn the Blessed One's words. So he said to the Blessed One, May the Blessed One together with three others acquiesce to my offer of tomorrow's meal. The Blessed One acquiesced with light silence. Now over here, there's no clear indication why he he looked at the sun and thought today is not the time. Yeah, oh, almost like Kan Feng Shui. Yeah. Uh, but basically, he, he decided today is not a good time. Mm. And take note, uh, he invited not just the Buddha, but together with three others. Yeah, There's actually some background to this, and it's about having witness. If he managed to put the Buddha on a spot uh, without witness, then you like he he cannot. Uh, there is no proof that he managed to defeat the Buddha. Yeah. So by having three others come together, it is to have witness. Uh. And he sugarcoated. By uh, with an offer for a meal, yeah. Uh, so I think we monks can learn something from this. Uh. never a free lunch. <laughs> Sometimes, maybe maybe I think most of the time, uh, people offer lunch out of kindness, out of compassion. 
but over here you can see sometimes it's a trap huh? so when people offer you lunch you don't be so happy huh? you must be prepared to answer difficult questions <laughs> so far still okay uh, I haven't really encountered people who offer lunch just to ask difficult questions uh, although sometimes students are uh, afraid to ask questions in Buddhism we are more concerned that students don't ask questions more than that students ask difficult questions uh, in fact many times in class I, I quite enjoy when uh, if I can say the word enjoy in this case uh, when students ask questions yeah, because it means that they are really thinking about the subject matter and it gives the it creates the opportunity for us to explore different aspects of the subject matter so <clears throat> fast forward to the next day so after that uh, this prince uh, before that prince abaya um, also circumambulated the buddha so the circumambulation meaning you keep your right shoulder facing the the person that you, or the object that you are respectful towards keeping the person towards your right it has the symbolism of um, honoring that person that the person is uh, correct something like that <coughs> so he also do that for the Buddha then he left um, unclear whether this is just a show um, but seems to be a bit non-congruent uh, that if he really respect the Buddha then why would he still go and challenge the Buddha in that way so uh, but in some other suttas there are some individuals who continually ask the Buddha many many questions yeah. and at the end of it they, they uh, admit that actually after the first question they were convinced already that means they, have, they are sold yeah, that, that they think that the Buddha is really wise and you know, a truth-sayer is awakened but they continue to ask because they delight in the answer in the way the Buddha answered the questions and in the content and everything yeah, so let's take a look. <coughs> uh, so he arrived and then uh, the, the usual pleasantries. Uh, but in this case, it's Prince Abaya's home. So when the Buddha arrived, <coughs> the prince uh, prepared a seat for the Buddha. The Buddha sat down. And then the, the prince, uh, this is no ordinary person. The prince served the Buddha with his own hands. Uh, in many of the sutras, you see when a meal offering is done, the emphasis is almost always there about the person serving with their own hand. Yeah, to complete the whole process, not just invite and then ask someone to serve, yeah, but they would prepare all the food and then serve themselves. So they, they, the, the start with the intent to, to give all the way until the gift is given. And that means in this case food. So fine staple and non-staple food. Yeah. So both are fine, but staple and non-staple. Staple food would uh, probably refer to things like rice uh, and the flour-based kind of things. Yeah. So then when the blessed one had eaten and had removed his hand from his bowl, Prince Abaya took a lower seat and sat to one side. Yeah. So this is a again, this is uh, there's this practice that 
uh, we don't uh, interrupt our meal and then continue. It means once we remove our hands from the bowl, we put down the bowl, that's it, we are done with the meal. Yeah, we don't like put down then later, hmm, uh, let's have some more. <coughs> yeah, so, uh, so when the Buddha removed his hand, then that's indication to Prince Abhaya, okay, the Buddha is done with his meal, if he has any questions, he can ask and consult. It's kind of like in the Western uh, table, Western food, uh, or rather Western table etiquette, where if you put the fork and spoon in a certain way, yeah, then it indicates to the waiter that you are done with the meal, they can clear the table. Mm. So here you see, um, in <laughs> like exactly as they had planned, the Buddha was asked the question, would the uh, Tathagata say words that are unendearing and disagreeable to others. And then the Buddha's reply just totally throw him off course. There is no categorical yes or no answer to that. It means it depends. It's not definite that it will be yes, not definite that it will be no. Yeah, it depends on the circumstances. And so at this point, Prince Abhaya replied saying that the Nigantas are destroyed and then the Buddha was like huh? so why do you say that you know and the the prince basically just repeated the whole incident to the Buddha and in a way confessed to the Buddha that you know this was their ploy and their intent yeah and it was to basically put the Buddha in a spot um, and get the Buddha to uh, to be defeated, yeah. So, uh, this is what happened. Then the Buddha um, replied to this, yeah. Uh, uh, using the circumstances that were present, yeah. So here it described. Now at that time, a baby boy was lying face up on the prince's lap. Mm. So this is a baby boy. No indication. Uh, let me see. Yeah, uh, so over here, baby boy on the prince lap, and then the Buddha very skillfully used that uh, scenario as an example to illustrate uh, his point. Yeah, so the the blessed one said to the prince, "What do you think, prince? If this young boy, through your own negligence or that of the nurse, <coughs> were to take a piece of or." take a stick or a piece of gravel into its mouth, what would you do? Yeah, so, young boy, baby boy, maybe, I don't know how old, there's no indication of the age, but young enough to be lying on the prince slab. And here, indication that it's through the prince, like the scenario painted is, whether it's through the negligence of the prince or that of the nurse, yeah, that means the person taking care of the kid, uh, if the boy were to take a piece of stick or a piece of gravel into the, his mouth, what would the prince do? So here there's no, no question about whether the boy knows what he's doing. Uh, apparently the boy is too young to know. So you know, small kids, just anything put inside the mouth. Yeah. Um, and regardless of uh, the circumstances, whether it's your, your fault or his fault, 
you know, whether it's the fault of the prince or the fault of the nurse, doesn't matter. The thing is, now this happened. What would you do? So the prince replied, I would take it out, Lord. Yeah, of course. <laughs> the kid put something that is not supposed to be in the mouth, he put it in. Of course, he would take it out. So if I couldn't get it out right away, then holding his head in my left hand and crooking a finger of my right, I would take it out. Even if it meant drawing blood. <coughs> mm. Even if it meant drawing blood. It means even if in the process it will cause a bit of, you know, abrasion or maybe cause the the child to bleed, um, you have to do it. Yeah. And why? Why is that? Because I have sympathy for the young boy. Mm. It is out of sympathy, or if I may use the word compassion for the young boy, you know, that this is done. Mm. So this is very interesting. This is not from the Buddha. This is a reply from the prince. Yeah. So the Buddha is very skillful in this way. He 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 just used a very ordinary circumstances, yeah, that is that people can directly relate to and get them to think for themselves. Yeah. Up to this point, the Buddha didn't uh, like expound any deep teachings or according to this teaching or that teaching. The Buddha just used a real life example. If this happened, what would you do? Mm. And this comes from the prince that the prince would remove it even if it means drawing blood. Now, having established this common ground, yeah, so then the Buddha uh, told, uh, told the prince, in the same way, prince, and he listed out, yeah, here there are six different cases, <clears throat> so let's look at them. Uh, in a case of words that the Tathagata knows to be unfactual, untrue, unbeneficial, yeah, uh, this bracket means that this is, uh, this is what the translator interprets, yeah, uh, or not connected with the goal. Because in the case of the Buddha, um, whatever teaching, whatever is said, uh, for it to be fruitful, it should be connected with the goal. That means Nibbana. Oh. So, unendearing and disagreeable, he does not say them. Yeah. So, there are a few criteria here. Unfactual, untrue, unbeneficial. <coughs> In what way? Not connected to the goal. Then, unendearing and disagreeable. Yeah. So, there are five things mentioned. The first two is about whether it's factual and true or not. The third one is whether it produces benefit. The last two is about how the person, the recipient would feel. Okay, so you put them together, there's a certain number of combination. Over here, there are six permutations. The first one is untrue, unfactual, not beneficial, and people don't feel good. Yeah, so the Buddha said he will not say that. Second scenario <coughs> knows to be factual, true, factual and true, but unbeneficial. Yeah, and unagreeable. Yeah, the unendearing, disagreeable to others, he will not say. Yeah, so this second scenario. Second scenario is interesting. <coughs> because it's factual and true, but unbeneficial. Now, usually we think that things that are factual and true will definitely be beneficial, but not always. Yeah, Not always the case. Uh, something can be factual and true, but not necessarily beneficial. So, for example, 
<laughs> okay, like today I had wanted to use the whiteboard, you know, the surface yeah, to write, but um, I end up referring to the sutta, so I don't need to use it. <clears throat> so now, if I were to tell you that uh, the battery has one flat, it's factual, it's true, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't give you any. Um, oh wait, what happened? Someone is calling me. Usually, people call me to tell me that. Okay, why? Uh, can I string the? So a student re responded asking me. <coughs> So that the words on the left and right are not truncated. Eh? Oh, I didn't know that it's truncated. Uh. Oh, sorry. This is the next scenario. Uh, second scenario, factual true but not beneficial. Yeah, so there are a lot of things that is factual and true but mm, not beneficial. But of course, benefit here can be different kind of benefit. Yeah. Uh, uh, Things that may be true, but not beneficial to towards cultivation, yeah. And if you were to then take this uh, later, we can look at it, uh, or, or rather we can look at it now. Um, if you consider, there are a lot of things that are factual and true, but not relevant to or not beneficial as far as the COVID nineteen is concerned, yeah. It may not help the person to know something whether something is true or not yeah um, it doesn't help them in uh, in preventing infection for example yeah so then uh, maybe we shouldn't say it number three uh, factual true and beneficial uh, but unendearing okay and disagreeable uh, so first two case is where uh, the person find it unendearing and disagreeable and at the same time the first two cases are non-beneficial <coughs> okay so as long as it's non-beneficial whether it's factual or not factual um, and people find it unendearing and disagreeable then don't say it third case and fourth case <coughs> okay let's see uh. so the third case uh, beneficial factual true so fulfill all the things but people find it unendearing and disagreeable he has a proper sense of the time he has a sense of the proper time for saying them ah. so uh, the buddha has this sense uh, i think i don't have the sense <laughs> sometimes uh, sometimes when i say something people don't like it yeah have to find the right timing but it doesn't mean we don't say no just because people don't like it. Yeah, but have to find the right time, right place perhaps, and maybe find the right person to say it. Mm. Yeah, so like if if we if we have the Dalai Lama say it, maybe people will find it agreeable. <laughs> In the case of words that the Tathagata knows to be unfactual, untrue, unbeneficial, but endearing and agreeable to others, he does not say them. Uh, so this is the mark of a soothsayer. Uh, say things that people make people feel good, but untrue, uh, unfactual, untrue, unbeneficial. 
In this case, the Buddha don't say it. Just because people feel good, then you say, no, the Buddha don't do such a thing. Number five, factual, true, unbeneficial, but unendearing and agreeable to others, the Buddha also don't say. Uh, so uh, you can start to see a pattern. As long as it's unbeneficial in some ways, yeah, yeah, here unbeneficial, unbeneficial. Yeah, all these cases where it's unbeneficial, the Buddha don't say. <clears throat> when it's beneficial but people don't like it, he finds a proper time. How about number six? Something that is factual, true, and beneficial, and endearing and agreeable. Wow. You you tick all the check boxes. Yeah. Still, the Buddha has a sense of the proper time for seeing them. And why is that? Because the Tathagata has sympathy for living beings. Yeah, so the, he speaks out of compassion for sentient beings to benefit them. So choosing the right time to speak is also very important. Uh, mm. So <coughs> I think I have overshot time. Uh. So then at this point, uh, Uh, this is the part uh, with reference to the child, yeah, and this is the core part of what I wanted to share for today, actually, yeah. Uh, if you see someone out without mask, you know there are some videos about people chasing each other, like why are you not wearing a mask and so on, and then feeling filming them. Um, I don't know. Um, I, I think everybody have to come to this awareness and uh, it's just not in our culture currently to wear masks. I think many years back when I go to countries like Taiwan, uh, places like Taiwan, uh, Hong Kong, uh, there's already a culture of wearing masks. Uh, some I think some people told me that in some countries because of the pollution so they are quite used to wearing a mask uh, but I think in some of these countries there's also this sense of civic mindedness where when they fall sick they will wear a mask if they need to go out so there's really such a culture in Singapore we don't have this culture yeah I'm, I'm not saying this is a good reason or excuse for not wearing a mask but this could be why we, 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 it's just not a natural thing unfortunately again just because it's not natural doesn't mean that the, the virus will say oh this person is not wearing a mask because it's not natural so I will give you a pass uh, tomorrow I come back and if you are still not wearing a mask I will infect you no it doesn't work that way you know it's not like the virus will, will discriminate and say hey, this person is supposed to be used to wearing masks no? why are you not wearing masks huh, I punish you I in fact, you. No, that's not the case. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> two cases out of the six. Um, it is not completely exhaustive. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the the sequences, uh, I think two two by three permutation. Yeah, I think covers all the cases. So there are only two cases where the Buddha will speak, and in both cases, it's because it's beneficial. Yeah. Um, so regardless of whether people find it 
endearing and disagreeable or not, yeah, uh, the Buddha would still speak, but he would have a sense of the proper time to, for saying them. Uh, so if we, if we were to be out and we encounter someone who is not wearing, uh, I think I grew up um, with a sense that in Singapore, many times we have this idea, you know, my own business. Yeah. Uh, if people break the, break the law, that's not a problem. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, is, is that a case? For you, uh, the impression I have growing up is, uh, I've been told by many uh, of my elders and people around me who tell me like don't don't be busybody, yeah, people break the law that's their problem, yeah, uh, people jaywalk that's their problem, people cross the road, uh, people don't follow traffic rule like this like that whatever, nah, don't go and uh, you go and tell people off, they get angry with you they come and attack you. Uh, there's this, there's this culture. I think to some extent. I don't know about the younger generation, yeah. But uh, growing up in the seventies, eighties, I think there is a bit of this culture. Yeah, um, and we, it's not about whether you snitch or not, but it's that it's more that we are afraid of the lashback. <laughs> yeah, um, but at this point. But I, I, I never quite connect with that, that notion. <laughs> I, I never quite connect with that notion. <coughs> so oftentimes my, my, my parents and my, those seniors around me would tell me like, why are you so stupid? Yeah, yeah other people, their problem, uh, don't, you know. But at this point in time, this is no longer other people's problem, you know. Because if one person don't wear the mask, the person, in fact, one point three person, uh, in you know, and that that is not a linear equation, no. it's exponential. In, in fact, one person, the person, in fact, multiples. Within a short time, you start to see that exponential curve. Yeah. <coughs> so when is a good time to speak up? Uh, frankly, I also don't know. <laughs> yeah, because even for Sifu, if I, when I speak up, uh, it's not always endearing and agreeable. Yeah, and sometimes people, sometimes it may be misconstrued that oh, yeah, Sifu is not compassionate. Uh, the truth is, I I also tell people that I'm not so compassionate. <laughs> yeah. But I also wonder uh, which is more compassionate. Yeah, I agree that in some specific cases, yeah, like in the discussion the past few days uh, about uh, elderly who are uh, who are unclear about things and so on and so forth. I think we have to be understanding, but at the same time. <coughs> um, it doesn't mean that we, we, we stop short of, of telling them. Yeah. It's like if small kids, they don't understand the danger of, of the busy street and they play on the street and the ball is in the, in the street and they run out, do we then, boy, come, come, do we speak nicely, 
because we have to be understanding. We will scream and shout at the kid, isn't it? Even if it frightened the kid for a while, but it will save his life. Yeah. I, I think um, it uh, not easy to 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 do uh, as as the Buddha has said before. Not easy to 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 do things without anybody criticizing. Yeah. Not in the past, in the future, or the present. Um, so when is a good time? Um, sometimes, by the time we find the right time, uh, maybe a bit too late. Yeah. Uh, but perhaps we can try our best to speak in a gentle way. You know. Uh, so far, I've seen a lot of videos where the person taking the video uh, would almost sound like a. You know, police like that. You know, like how come, uh, or in an accusative tone? You know, why are you not wearing? Perhaps instead, if we were to just offer a mask. Yeah, I also heard of cases where people offer a mask and the other person also uh, respond in a very aggressive manner. Um, maybe that's why we have all, all the ambassadors and police going around. Uh, there's no this this exceptional times. Yeah. I wrote somewhere, exceptional times call for exceptional measures. Uh, yeah, and as again I repeat, it's no longer our own business. Um, if if everybody do their part, you know, this thing can be over sooner. Uh, and regardless of why individuals don't wear a mask, whether it's because they outrightly don't care or they unknowingly don't care, don't know, or they are they have dementia, they are like this or like that. But as long as you go out without a mask, you risk infection. And if you risk infection, the 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 spread is going to continue. Yeah. So that's all I have to share today. Uh, of course, this should. Sutta itself has more. Maybe next week I can cover the rest. <coughs> and there are more implications than just about people not wearing masks. Because this teaching is about how we um, be aware of our own speech. Yeah. And when I read through this, I, I don't read through this thinking that I, I always know the proper time. Oftentimes I think as an afterthought, I'm like, ah, maybe shouldn't. Should, didn't have to or shouldn't have said. Yeah. And for myself, I, I try my best to catch. Uh, one simple rule of thumb I do for myself is if I say it, will the person be able to accept it? Yeah. Um, sometimes I remember and then I catch it. Sometimes I forget, then I just blast it out. Yeah. So if you find that sometimes Sifu says certain things, it's not agreeable. It's not uh, endearing. Uh, minimally have the faith that monks and nuns, the Sangha, uh, we, we don't have any vested interest to win some argument with you. <laughs> you know, uh, that we have um, good intent and uh, the interest, your interest at heart. Uh, and if it and if you get it wrong, okay, then find a time to tell us and show us how it's wrong. Uh, but if not, then um, 
put aside how we feel yeah, as much as we can, focus on the message and ask yourself, is it valid? Yeah. And I think this rings true for many other aspects of our life as well. Uh, as they say, um, uh, yeah. words that is true, that is uh, loyal, that is uh, sincere, you know, not pleasant to the ears. Mm. Okay, I've really exceeded too much time. I we will uh, wrap up here. Yeah, we'll wrap up here, and uh, we'll uh, come back to other topics next week. If you have any topics that you, uh, of is of interest to you, please post uh, post to the video, or you can send a, a message to to this page, <coughs> and then we'll uh, cover it. Next week is the last week of the month, so next week is uh, open Q&A, yeah, ask me anything, okay? So with that, I want to wish all of you um, safety, uh, good, good health and peace at home. Yuan xiao san zhang zu fan nao, yuan de zi hui zhen ming liao, pu yuan zui zhang xi xiao chu, Till we meet again, may be guided and protected by the Buddha, Dharma and the Sangha. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And as always, quite quite, quite quite stay at home, quite quite wear masks, quite quite nian for, that's what metaphor. Okay, take care. See you all next week. <coughs>